dedicate Lene, Cherie Hughes, and we're just so very glad that we can stand before all of the brothers and sisters of the Lord here, all of the relatives that are here. It's just a delight indeed uh, to be here. I want to give this dedication, and I'd like to start uh, from the book of Acts, the second chapter. This is a very uh, different place to, to start a dedication. We've had so many weddings and so many baby dedications, and it is a little difficult for me to come up with a new one. But uh, the Bible is the book that, that really has the answer. In Acts, the second chapter, the Bible says, verse 1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared to them clothing tongues like as of fire, and it set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now this was the birth of the New Testament church in the book of Acts. The passage of Scripture that I want to accent is the first verse of Acts 2. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And I want to speak to you tonight on the subject of one accord. And the reason why that I think that this is so very appropriate is because this is the attitude, the correct attitude of a husband and wife relationship and a family relationship. There has to be an accord in that family for that family to function properly. I don't know if you saw this in the paper or not. You who are on the back cannot identify this article. But it says, 14 children leave mom feeling fine. How many of you saw this in the paper? Just want to read a little bit of it. It comes from Woburn, Massachusetts. It's an AP uh, article. As a new bride, Margaret Masada was told she probably could not bear children. 25 years and 14 kids later, including three born on Mother's Day, she considers herself to be the luckiest woman in the world. Isn't that something? For her Mother's Day, this Sunday is not a time to accept flowers and gifts from her brood, but a day to reflect on how happy she is to have nine daughters, five sons, from three to twenty-four years old. People have said all sorts of unkind things to me, like, don't you think you've had enough? To be honest with you, it hurt a lot. Mrs. Masato recently said, but I never thought we had too many kids. I think I'm very lucky, she added. I think I'm very spoiled. Mrs. Masato calls herself a 24-hour-a-day mother who wakes at 5.30 a.m. to make school lunches 
washes ten loads of laundry, and oversees a bustling household with strict old-fashioned order. She and her husband, Philip, own and operate Masada's Variety, a homey general store on Main Street in this working-class suburb 12 miles north of Boston. Now, she goes on to, to say this, and we'll not read uh, all of it. She talks about curfew and such. This is what she has to say, however. She says, we have an understanding, talking about her family and her children, from the time they are very little, that I own this house, Mrs. Masato herself, one of ten children, you can't tell me I can't go in your room, you can't tell me I can't open your drawers, because everything in there I bought. If there's something in there I shouldn't see, she added, it shouldn't be in this house. I'm very blunt about it and about what I expect of them, but the children don't seem to object. She says she's requiring all of her children to live at home until they're 25 years of age, unless they're married, and so far all of them have done it. It's a very, very commendable article, and the reason why that I have read it, not that I'm saying that this should be the general rule for operating a house, but you can read this. You can understand why the success, because there is a simple accord in the household. There is an agreement. Jesus had this to say. He said uh, they accused him of casting out the devil by the spirit of Beelzebub or by the spirit of the devil. And Jesus said this is not true. He said... uh, A house divided against itself will not stand. Amos the prophet said, How can two walk together except they agree? We have come to this very beautiful occasion in which we dedicate this beautiful young lady, and I do mean beautiful young lady. I think Lene is as pretty as... You can find any place. She is a real doll. And it's so good to be able to to see all of the uh, family here. And Sister Hughes, it is particularly good to have you here. And what we would like to do as the mother of the clan that's here, we'd like for you to stand, if you would, and come. And we want to present the remaining flowers from this vase to you. God bless you so much. Praise God. We really love you. Praise God.
Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Praise God. Real often, couples step in my office who are contemplating marriage and they ask me the question concerning what I feel is the very most important ingredient in a good marriage. Of course, I will say that the Lord Jesus Christ and His Word is is the special ingredient that you need in every marriage. But second to that, there must be a general accord in that family. There must be an agreement. Now, each home establishes a particular philosophy, and it does vary from Christian home to Christian home. The philosophy that is established in a home is quite important, but more important, the thing that really matters is that there is an agreement between a husband and wife. And I think probably more homes are destroyed because there is no agreement in the home. 
Now we're here to dedicate a child, but at the same time, uh, you you have heard me say that, uh, and I will say it again tonight, it is so important that parents are first dedicated to the Lord and then their child is dedicated to the Lord. I want to turn your attention to Titus, the second chapter. The Apostle Paul writes this young minister. And I want to walk through this with all of you tonight. Now, my heart is is very touched. And this afternoon as I contemplated this service tonight, I've got to tell you that tears came to my eyes. And the reason why is because it was just about the time that Ray and Sarah were to tie the knot and become married that Brother Hughes passed from this life to be with the Lord. And as I read the book of Titus, the second chapter, uh, I thought so very much of Brother and Sister Hughes. And what I want to do is walk through Titus 2, or at least a portion of it, and instruct this couple along with all of the relatives who are here, in what I consider a very, very important doctrine for the establishing of the Word of the Lord. Now, can all of you hear back there? You can't, you can't hear it all back there. Maybe you don't have this up, brother. From Titus, the second chapter, verse 1. The Apostle Paul said, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Now you can have doctrine without it being sound doctrine, or doctrine that is that is uh, contingent upon Bible truths. Doctrine is a religious teaching. Sound doctrine is the correct religious teaching. The second verse says that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. Now, when I read this scripture, uh, I thought of Brother Hughes. And I thought of uh, the way in which Brother Hughes could be so sober and yet at the same time so funny. Now, he had a real way of doing that, and he was he's very serious about everything. <laughs> and he really did love God, and he was serious about his service for the Lord. I remember uh, him wanting to take me fishing, and and uh, uh, Ray had already told me, he said, Now, if Dad ever wants to take you fishing, you should go at least once. And he told me the reason why. I said, Because it's quite an experience. Well, he told me that he was going to, hook up the boat and motor and have it all ready, and I was to go over there, and which I did. And Sister Hughes had, had told me a week or so before, she said, uh, just pray we'll sell our camper. And I said, uh, why? She said, well, because I refuse to ride in it. I said, he's going to kill us. <laughs> she said he wants to, that he is not a good driver. Well, all the way over to their house, I was thinking about pulling that boat and motor, thinking about what Sister Hughes had said, and we got in the car when the morning they got over there, and of course he just started right out of the car and got in the car and he said, let's go. And so 
I hopped in, and he had to get gasoline. He pulled off on a side street, got gasoline. Well, when he, he went out on Park Street, uh, he got down to the stop sign, and he was looking back and forth, and hit his brakes and just brought that car to a real halt and just took out. Well, there was cars coming, and they were blowing, and he just went right out in the traffic. And... Uh, Right away, I thought, well, I sure do hope they sell that camper. (laughs) I really hope they do. But we got out uh, down to Monona someplace. I'm not for sure where we went, but we went on the south side of the lake there. And he pulled in. There was a guy trying to pull out, and he pulled right up behind the guy. And the guy started blowing his horn. And so Brother Hughes just sat there, and he blew, and he blew. He couldn't hear him, see. And I said, uh, well, the guy jumped out. He was real mad. And uh, Brother Hughes looked at me and said, well, all he's got to do is tell me. You know? <laughs> so <laughs> he backed up, and the guy came out, and we got that boat in the water. He told me ahead of time it wasn't running too good. And so <laughs> we got in the boat, and he started the motor, and uh, it was missing a little bit. And he got that thing going as wide open as it could go. And it looked like we were fogging for mosquitoes. We had really, I'm, I'm serious, we had a big cloud. And by that time, there were people trying to get in where, where we were. And we weren't getting out. And cars were backing in there and such. And he, it didn't bother him one bit. I told him, I said, Brother Hughes, let's just take and, and paddle on down here someplace. He says, we waited our turn. They can wait their turn. You know, just like that. And so he got the thing going so fast, and and all of a sudden he just put it in gear. Well, when he put it in gear, he sheared a pin. And it wouldn't go at all. And uh, so he said, well, look like we sheared a pin. So he took the the, uh, motor off and put it in the boat, and we were still tying up everybody. I told him, I said, let's pull over here. Well, we did pull over a little bit, but they... The man still couldn't get his boat in, and they all waited in line while we got the thing going. Now, that was one of the most exciting trips that I've ever been on as far as fishing. We never caught any fish, but we had a great time. The same thing we duplicated the second time, except we did not shear the pen until we got a mile out in the lake. And Brother Hughes told me, he said, uh, uh, he said you know, he said, I've been having a little hurting in my chest I, I, I hope that I'll be able to help you some well I was trying to row that boat back to shore and I got over in a swim area and a lifeguard came out there and blessed us out Brother Hughes just told me said, just make out like you don't hear him <laughs> and finally the guy stood out there and he said get that boat out of this swimming area I said well I I finally stood out and said, I can't get it out. The wind's blowing. Brother Hughes just said, just sit down and make out like you don't even hear him. Don't pay him any attention. He said, there's nothing we can do about this. So, but uh, he, was, he was a very, very humorous man, but at the same time, he was very sober, especially about the things of the Lord. Especially about the things of the Lord. Uh, as far as having patience, we dealt with a man for a long period of time, and finally Brother Hughes came to me, and this is the way he ended his relationship with a man. and said, well, looks like he's not going to live for God. I've worked with him now about three years. 
All he wants to do is just run around and get drunk and everything. So I called him on the phone and said, well, uh, just don't be bothering me anymore. And he said, when you make up your mind you want to live for God, you give me a call and I'll come over and help you. But you make sure the next time you call me that you're serious. And, of course, you may say, well, that sounds like an abrupt way to end a relationship. doesn't sound very patient to me. Well, the truth of the matter is, all of us here had wondered how in the world Brother Hughes could stick so closely by this man's side. The number of nights that he was up and working with this man, working with that individual. It was, it's really amazing to me. Now, verse 3, the Bible says, The age women likewise that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. And I, I see this word holiness. I recently taught on holiness. Holiness simply means to be like God, and He is holy. Now notice what the Scripture says. Holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine. Teachers of good things. Teachers of good things. Now, when I look at this word holiness, it says that the age women, we have given out a big bouquet of roses here tonight to Sister Hughes. And Sister Hughes, I want to say this in the presence of your family. I do very much appreciate your holiness standard in your life that you have lived. Being a real example to your entire family. When I think of holiness, my mind goes to what the Apostle Paul said when he wrote the church at, at uh, the Thessalonia. In uh, the fourth, first Thessalonians, the fourth chapter, verse 7, For God hath not called us to uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. Now notice the word despiseth. Some people despise holiness. They despise the things that are of God. And all Paul is doing, he's just making a simple appeal, and this is what he's saying. He's saying, well, God is holy. And when he has given us his Holy Spirit, we become holy as a direct result or consequences of the holiness of God. So if God is holy, and we take on His Holy Spirit, we become like Him. So if a man despises holiness, really he doesn't despise the man who's trying to be holy, he's despising the God that's holy. Now that's his logic. Why? Because God is holy. Now the direct opposite of holiness is uncleanness. Holiness means purity, something that's clean, something that's without spot or without blemish. Now, Paul, I say Paul, Peter calls our attention to this very same subject. If you will turn with me to the second book of Peter, the tenth the second chapter and the tenth verse. Now we want to talk to you just a moment about what is it, the direct opposite of holiness. Second Peter 2, 
verse 10, But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness, which if holiness is that which is clean, that which is without spot, because God is clean and God is pure, uncleanness is the opposite of holiness, and he begins to explain this. He says, one of the fruits of an unclean spirit is that people despise government. And you see, you can have a house that has one accord if you have individuals who despise government. It was said of the Lord Jesus Christ prior to his birth by the prophet Isaiah, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall rest upon his shoulders. Talking about Jesus. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And of his peace and government there shall be no end. Notice how that the prophet Isaiah connects government and peace. The only reason why that we even need a government is to have peace. And if you were to take away the governmental force as much as some of us don't like to admit it, we wouldn't have much peace here in the United States of America or in any country as a matter of fact. And while we don't like it because the police have red lights on top of their vehicles that can stop us any time that we violate, it's a good thing. It's really good for all of us. And so what he's saying here is that one of the fruits of holiness is good government. And a household must have good government. In fact, you can have no institution anywhere, whether it be a simple home, whether it be a church, whether it be a place of business or any type of corporation, without having some type of government. And their positions must be clearly defined. In the home, it's first God. Paul explains that. In the book of Ephesians. Then it is the wife. It is the children. And then the servants. Now. Another fruit of an unclean spirit. Is people becoming presumptuous. That simply means that they just assume things. That are not right. And if you want a body to be torn asunder, you let people take on a presumptuous spirit where that every little move that people make, others are trying to figure it out. I wonder why he did this. I wonder why he did that. You can have no trust when people become presumptuous. You've got to have faith and confidence in each other. And I'm not only speaking to this group, this family, the Hughes family tonight. I speak to the whole family of God.
that's represented here. It is a good feeling to be able to trust one another. And I have told people time after time after time after time, the whole church is built upon a theme of love, God loving us, and we in turn loving God to the point that we trust each other and have confidence and faith in each other. I trust you even though I know that you will make wrong decisions in certain cases. And you will trust me even though you know that I will make wrong decisions in some cases. But God really has no better method to govern people than a simple, a simple organization of trust. And this is so very, very important that we understand this. But people who become presumptuous, they just know that everything that's said in certain areas by certain people is directed against them. We had an individual who is not attending church here, but I was really amazed. He called me one night. It was the wee hours of the morning, like 1.30 or 2, and he said, Pastor Grant, I haven't been able to sleep. And I said, what's the problem? He said, well, the problem is this. He said, I saw, and he named two brothers who were talking downstairs out in the hallway. He said, I saw them talk. I then saw this brother go upstairs. He talked to another brother. And I watched very carefully while the other brother went out in the parking lot and shared that same story with another individual. And I said, now how do you know it was the same story? He said, well, I just know that it was. I have the evidence. And I said, what were they talking about? He said, they were talking about me. And he said, now I can't come back to church because all the people in the church know because I saw the brother who was in the parking lot start to get in his car. He backed out. He came back in the church and talked with you. So you know all about it. I couldn't even remember what the brother had said to me. I said, well, I'm sorry. I said, I, 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 he talked with me, yes, but I don't recall what he talked about. And secondly, I know he didn't mention your name. Now, how do you know that he was talking about you? You know what he said? He said, what else could he be talking about? And I said, you mean to tell me that's all the evidence? He said, yeah, but listen to this. Two brothers were talking downstairs. One of them went upstairs and shared it with a brother in the vestibule. The brother in the vestibule went outside and shared it with someone who started to get in his car and he came back talk with you. Now, what else could he be talking about but me? I said, no, wait a minute. I, I said, I can't really believe all of this. Uh, now, let's go back over this. <laughs> so we went back over it again. And I would say I don't have any idea what the brothers were talking about. But see, two brothers could be talking about fishing. One of them could leave and talk to another brother about visitation. Another brother could talk to another one about mechanical work on the car 
and maybe the brother who was getting in his car forgot to pay his tithing or something because he was out in the restroom when the tithing or the offering was taken. Did we take our offering tonight? We did? Good. If you forgot it, just remember, okay? No. <laughs> no. Uh, and he could have brought it back in the office. You see, that could have been totally unrelated, but he, he had this complex about himself. And some people have a complex about themselves that they, they, they always feel that things are not quite right. And I have seen many, many homes destroyed simply because there was not a real trust there. I don't think a wife should ever give a husband a reason not to trust her. At the same time, I think that she needs to be open enough with her husband to just trust him. And there has to be a real trust in that family relationship. Now the cardinal rule of our house is that I never go anyplace without telling my wife. And I told a man this. He said, well, why should she know? I said, well, why shouldn't she know? I don't go places where I am ashamed for her to know. And we've had various individuals living in our house. And our cardinal rule around the house is you never leave unless you tell somebody that you're leaving where you're going and when you're coming back. Now, that's just the general rule of the household. It's not that we don't trust you. We want you to grow up feeling very comfortable in sharing your life with others. If, however, for some reason, I have to go and my wife does not know where I'm going, she doesn't sit around and bite her fingernails off wondering where I am. Now let's move on with this. He said self-willed. Self-willed. It is so good to see a marriage where people are so devoted and a family that's so devoted that each person seems to live for the other one. Isn't that a beautiful thing? I mean, where Father really gives himself to his family. And mother gives herself to her family. And the children will give themselves for each other. Now, children are so unique. You know, we had this little puppet show about children. But uh, children really do amaze me. And you can get them, they'll fight with each other. But then on the other hand, they seem to always stick up for each other. They'll always do that. And I've worked with enough people to understand that if you ever have a conflict with anyone, you can always expect the whole family to stick together. And why shouldn't they? They're ingrained in the same philosophy and way of life because of the structure that they grew up under. Each person living... Or the other one. And didn't Paul even say that that should be the great principle of the body of Christ? That we submit ourselves to each other and give ourselves to each other? But some people are just so self-willed that everything has to be done their way. It's got to be their idea and the whole unit has to evolve around them.
And then the last part of this, he said, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Now, dignities mean, means people in positions of command or authority. And you mark it down. Any time that you start speaking evilly or in a derogatory way of someone in the same position that you are, but yet operating on a different level, you're headed for trouble in your own life. Now let me give you an example of this. You see, as a pastor of the church, working with many men, working with a lot of men who have matured in the Lord, but some who have not, it would be real easy for me to point out to my wife, my wife and I share so many things together. It would become a real temptation for my wife to point, or for me to point out to my wife, the weaknesses of some elder or some minister, somebody in our congregation. But I have adopted a philosophy that I will not criticize men, nor speak derogatorily of men to her. And the reason why is because the man is the head of the household. And I want my wife to be able to respect all of you men as heads of the household. Now, why is that important? Because what I put into her, she in turn then will put into my children. And you mark it down, if you have a conflict with a neighbor... It isn't wise for the head of the household to speak evilly of the head of another household. Because as sure as those children will not respect Mr. Jones, who lives next door, they will not respect you either. And so we have always had this... this I would say kind of an unwritten but a very well understood rule in our household that there are certain people in positions of authority. You never make fun of the president regardless of how good or how bad he's doing. If you can't speak something good of him, then don't speak at all. Now he is elected by the people, and there is a time in which weaknesses can be pointed out, but those weaknesses have to be pointed out in a very discreet way. And you have to be very careful. It hurts me sometimes to see these cartoons in the paper which they show the president looking like some kind of, of a lunatic, some kind of a lame brain, some kind of a fool. Doesn't that bother you? It bothers me a lot. It also bothers me a lot when I see people like school principals and teachers 
who are lowered to such a terrible, terrible level and and students are elevated to the point that they kind of rule over their teachers. Now that bothers me. For one would not want to send my child to a school in which I did not trust the principal nor the teachers. During the big movement of the late 60s and 70s, commonly called the hippie movement, when people were rebelling and revolting against government, I really hated to see our young people marching the streets and calling policemen pigs and fuzz and things like that. Parents ganged on street corners and laughed about those things. Well, that's not a laughing matter. And you notice what the scripture says. They are not afraid to speak evil of people in positions of authority. Now, Peter was just saying, now this is an unclean spirit. And these are the fruits of unclean spirits. But the holiness spirit, if you will turn back to 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter, the holiness spirit that's spoken of in verse 7, has its fruits. Verse 9. But as touching brotherly love, brotherly love is a fruit of holiness. Causes you to trust and love each other. And there are some people that are so eaten up with bitterness that they cannot be saved. A bitter person can not be saved. Why? Because bitterness is the fruit of a non-forgiving spirit. And Jesus said, if you forgive men not their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you of your trespasses. So a bitter person cannot be saved. Not until he repents of that bitterness. But as touching brotherly love, that's a fruit of holiness. Alright? He said, God teaches us to love one another. And indeed, ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. Now, increase here simply means to grow. There are several ways in which we grow. We grow in knowledge and in grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. He also talks about worldly possessions. There's nothing wrong with having a nice home. There's nothing wrong with God blessing you. In fact, you ought to live a life in which God can bless you. God likes to do good things for people. But verse 11, and that you study to be quiet. Isn't that something? That you study to be quiet. You know how to study? Have you ever had a test in which you had to just open the book and cram, 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 cram all night long? Well, what Paul is saying... To the Thessalonians, he said, you've got to study. I meant literally study. You've got to get in the book and study to do what? Keep your mouth shut. 
You see, they're not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Sometimes when you see things you don't quite like, what do you do? you got to button up. Now, this is all in the book, is it not? That you study to be quiet and to do your own business. Did you know it is a job to run a household? Some people try to run theirs and everybody else's. See, that's what he's saying, okay? And that you work with your own hands as we commanded you. And I want to say this to you, Brother Ray. I commend you in the presence of all of our brothers and sisters here. Ray Hughes is a hard working man. That's a fruit of holiness. You can't be lazy and please God. I say you can't be lazy and please God. And that you walk honestly toward them that are without. Don't try to take advantage of people who are not in the church. And that you have lack of nothing. Isn't that something? But I would have you to know, I would have you, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Now what he does, then he goes into this story about the rapture. And what I get out of this in 1 Thessalonians 4 is that Paul is outlining... He has given to us a prescribed formula for getting ready for the rapture. And what he's saying is, now, let's talk about holiness. And he said, God, because he's holy, teaches us to be holy likewise. I think this is so very, very valuable. Going back to Titus, the second chapter. That the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. Not false accusers. In other words, not presumptuous. Not, not saying, I think he did it. I think he did it. I think he did it. I assume he did it because of this and because of that. Not given to much wine. Teachers of good things. We said of Jesus that he went about doing good things. A lot of so-called Christians, they go about... But they don't go about doing good things. Now, verse 4. That they may teach Sarah, your mother is a long ways from you. And your mother is not in the church. Then you should conform to the philosophy of the man that you married in that household. I think one of the hardest things in the world would be for a father to give a daughter away. <laughs> I don't have a daughter. But when you give your daughter away, you're giving her to that household. And whatever the philosophy of that household is, it becomes hers. So by and large, somebody picks up where you leave off, but then you have to leave off. And that's a hard thing. So it's your primary responsibility, Sarah, to follow the example 
of the mother of this household. What's she going to teach you to do? To love your husband? How can she teach you to love Ray? Because she always loved Ray's dad. And she trusted Ray's dad. And she had confidence in him. She would even get in the car with him when she didn't know if she would come back home. and to love their children. Sister Hughes, do you love your children? You all, you love all of them. And how many of you children and grandchildren here feel that mom really loves you? All right, it is that way. She also teaches you to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient, to their own husbands. Now, why all of this? Notice what Paul says to Titus. That the word of God be not blasphemed. Uh, you know, you, you, you hear me talking about this quite often, don't you? And somebody asked me, Brother Grant, why are we always going over these same things over and over and over? Because we don't want you to blaspheme the word of God. And you will ultimately blaspheme the word of God when the house becomes divided and there is no particular accord in that household. One mind and one accord. And the only way there can be one mind and one accord is that Jesus Christ must be the established head of the household, working through the husband, the husband working through the wife, and the wife working through the children or down through the children. And the authority always has to be given downward. And correction must come from above. Correction can never come on a lateral basis or from beneath. And this is the only way that you can have one accord in the household. Now, the young man likewise exhort to be sober-minded. And verse 7, In all things, showing thyself a pattern, an example of good works. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. Found speech that can not be condemned. Isn't that great? You know, you teach values in so many different ways. But values are taught to children mostly by examples that are shown through relatives. Now, see, I'm a firm believer that no child can develop the way the child needs to develop just by the influence of parents alone. See, they, they must have, they, the, the family must have a group of peers and relatives that live right, love right, talk right, preach right, and that show good examples. 
grandmothers, grandfathers, aunts, and uncles and such that are strong, principled, charactered individuals. Every last one of you here will have some influence on Lene. Remember my boys growing up, I had a brother-in-law who was not living for God. And I remember quite often when we'd get together and we'd head back toward the house, they'd be talking about this brother-in-law who was not in church, and they would talk about this brother-in-law and all the things that he had done. He was my brother-in-law, he was their uncle. And I realized this man is having a real negative influence on me. See, their, their tender hearts are so prone to subject themselves to various behaviors, whether it be good or adverse. And so they would, they would kind of idolize Uncle Ken. And he kind of breaks all the traditional whatever the household. He goes his own way, does his own thing. Talks tough. Cop stops me, I'll give him a piece of my mind. You know, this kind of stuff. I pick up on that stuff. And this is the reason why, listen, brothers and sisters, it's always good for you. Regardless of what level you occupy in the body of Christ, whether you're on the deacon board or whether you're a new person in the house of God, that you watch yourself because you teach value to little children. And little children seem to pick them up, not by the message that you preach to them. You, you set a child down anytime you want to and bless him out. But he's going to pick up a whole lot more from you by that daily life that you live than by the, that one blessing out that he gets once a week. One every so to you, Ray, to you, Sarah, I speak on the behalf of Calvary Gospel Church and the Word of the Lord that God is calling you tonight to a deeper commitment than you've ever had before. And if it be your desire to fulfill your responsibilities and obligations to your child by making that commitment. We would like for you to stand at this time, if you would. We would like to show you, we would like for you to show your willingness in making this total surrender by bringing her to the altar. If you'll just step up here, please. And then we would like for Sister Hughes to come, if she would. Now, you have a very large family here, and the whole family will end up up here. So we'd like for you to come. If you would like to join in in this dedication, all you have to do is just stand behind the family in support of their decision. So would the entire family just come and stand behind them at this time?
Isn't God good to us? This is a very, very sober moment. And I'd like for you to stand, the remaining congregation, if you would, and join in as we dedicate this precious individual to the Lord, Lene Cherie Hughes. Was born June 10th, 1983. Brought such a great joy to the Hughes household. And I suppose one of the hardest things on the face of the earth for parents to do is to reach the point in which they realize that they are really only stewards watching over that which really belongs to God. And that's what dedication's all about. It's a formal recognition of the sovereign power of a God that's bigger than all the world, let alone all the households. The Bible tells us in the book of Psalms and the book of Genesis that the Lord made the heavens and the earth. The Bible tells us in the book of Psalms, the book of Job, the book of Genesis, that God created man. The Bible tells us in several places, the book of James, the book of Haggai, that all the gold and the silver in the world belongs to God, and man's wealth originates from God. Jeremiah says the Lord has the ability to pick up one man and put down another. He said the steps of a good man are directed to the Lord. Did you know that every person here, did you know your destiny, your fate, and everything lies in the hands of a God? And that God is the God that we know and serve. His name is Jesus. So at this time, we dedicate Lene Cherie Hughes to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to take this oil and anoint her with it and take her out of her Father's hands and pray a prayer of dedication formally recognizing what we're doing here tonight. Praise God. And God bless her so very much as we anoint her with this oil and take her from her Father. And Heavenly Father, we lift up this precious child in your presence. Would you pray with me right now? Dedicating her to a life and a walk in a church of holiness. Because you're holy, God. He must be holy. We commanded all of us will be you holy, for I, the Lord, thy God, am holy. Jesus, please accept this gift as a true gift of our love. In Jesus' name, we dedicate her tonight. Amen, amen. Praise God. We want to give her back to you. <laughs> and we want to lay hands upon him. And we want to lay hands upon her. You know what I'd like for all the family members to do right now?
why don't you just reach out and lay hands upon the shoulder of the person next to you and then on down and we just want to connect to this family right now. God, we pray that the power of the Holy Ghost would come. Fill this household with all the love that's needed, with all of the logic that's needed, with all the Word of God that's needed. Flood this household with your gift, O oh God, for the sake of this child. And we pray for Ray and Sarah right now that you would bless them abundantly in this life until such a time that they all enter into eternal life in your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God, Ray. God bless you. We love you, man. Sarah, God bless you so much. God bless you so much. We'd like for them to stand out here if they would. A couple of you uh, brothers come and just take this table on over there. Would you do that? Brother Hicks, would you come and help? Oh, here's Brother Cox. Okay. Just take it over here. We want them to stand out here, and we want the entire congregation to come, and you can come right in the middle, march down here, shake hands, and greet them. We've got a lot of people down here. We'll make room for all of you. Some of you come on this side over here. Ray and Sarah, you stay in the middle here if you would. All right, this is good. Some more of you come on the other side over here, would you? Now, this is not going to be an easy thing. So what let's do, let's start on the back and come around the outside. Would you do that? And then you can march back around. And you can filter out in the, in the middle on this side and come around. All right? So come on around right now and shake their hand and greet them. And uh, let them know how much you appreciate them. Would you do that? Sister Grant, you want to come and we'll sing something while they're getting set to come down. Praise God. Isn't the Lord good? Yeah. Praise God. Hallelujah. I think isn't God good? <clears throat> God good to give us so many blessings undeserving. That's what we are. I want to thank Him, love and praise Him a little bit today. And a whole lot more tomorrow. Oh, isn't God good?